0: Ursula Merce, that's her name, that's her real name. Ursula was struggling um, with some health issues that just came out of nowhere. She was having real bad headaches, back pain, and dizziness. It was so bad that it drove her from her work. She had to stop working. She was a seamstress, and she just couldn't do it anymore. So she went to talk to the doctor to find out what's going on, and she had a really strange condition, as the doctor reported it, because she just couldn't even find, like when she was in her bedroom, and I couldn't find a cup of water. She couldn't find the door to get out of her bedroom. She tripped over her bed frame. So when she came in to the doctor, um, he, he saw this woman and, and she still had all her dexterity. He gave her some scissors and she was able to cut out the different shapes from pieces of paper. But then he was trying to figure out what's going on with her and he set on a table a red ribbon and a pair of scissors. And he asked her what they were and she couldn't tell him. And then finally he said, well, it's scissors and a ribbon, and she says, of course it is, I, can, I, I see the scissors and ribbon, but he was confused, so he turned off the lights, and she couldn't tell that the lights had turned off. So with more studies, he began to realize that she had lost her sight completely, but here's the strange thing, she didn't know it. She didn't know it. In fact, when he tried to convince her that she was blind because she couldn't see anything, at the, after 30 days she couldn't see anything at all, she said, no, no, I can see. She could describe in detail everything around her, but she couldn't see a thing. So her doctor, an Austrian doctor named Gabriel Anton, said, as he wrote about this case, he says, it was extremely astonishing. She was mentally blind to her blindness. Mentally blind to blindness. This wasn't the first case that had ever been reported of this, but it is exceedingly rare. In fact, it was first um, discovered by Seneca, the Roman philosopher, way back in the day. But so far, up to today, there have only been about 28 cases ever recorded of this disease, which is now called Anton's Syndrome. People are blind and don't even know it. Crazy, right? Blind and don't even realize that they are blind. Well, I believe spiritually that is the human condition. Spiritually speaking, that's the human condition. There was an Argentinian um, author, and he said trying to convince an atheist uh, of God is like trying to convince and explain the color yellow to a blind person. It just doesn't make any sense. They don't get it. They don't even know that they are blind. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this spiritual blindness and how it is that the eyes of our heart to believe are actually opened up. So that with eyes wide open, we can actually see the truth of who God is and who his son Jesus really is. So some of you are unbelievers. You got dragged here. You're watching online. Somebody shared this with you after the fact because they're like, oh, this atheist needs to hear this. Okay. If that's you, you might be blind and not even know you're blind. I'm serious. And I'm not talking about husband blindness here, right? Does anybody know about husband blindness? The wives are saying that a little too loud. Um, yeah, I had it this week. Melissa said, hey, could you get the raisins out of the, the cupboard? And I was like, oh, no. I was like, I think I know they're supposed to be on this shelf. I looked on that shelf. I went in concentric circles, checking every single shelf, taking everything out. Could not find it. I said, we don't have any raisins. We're out. My mother-in-law, who doesn't even live at our house, just was visiting. In two seconds, found those raisins. Didn't you, land? So there is a thing called husband blindness. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about spiritual blindness. A spiritual blindness that doesn't even realize who the true God of the universe, Jesus, the resurrected king is. They might be like, yeah, Jesus is fine, but they don't realize who he truly is. So that's what we're going to talk about Today, this spiritual blindness, and I'm going to give you four points today. We are actually going to be in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can open up the UVersion Bible app, and you can find our event there, and you can see all the scriptures we're going to be covering today and take some notes, because we do have four points today. We're going to see two ways that your eyes are actually not opened up. We're going to learn our big idea, how it our eyes do get open, and then what we're supposed to do about it is our fourth point as we learn to shift our mindset, as we're going to in this series. And this series is a short series, just three weeks. Three weeks, it starts today, finishes up two weeks from now. So I'm saying this because if you're new here, commit to this series. Okay? Just commit to this series, even if you're traveling. Subscribe online. If you're watching online, commit to this series three weeks. That's not a big ask, is it? Just three weeks, give us three weeks, check us out. If you're like checking out our church, how can you know within one message, right? How can you know within one week? Give us three weeks, commit to it. And I think that that you'll want to follow Jesus with us, right? Okay, I I think we can convince you in three weeks. But um, three-week series called Shift, as we shift our mindset from seeing who Jesus is to what he wants us to do. And if you've been here for a while, we are actually finishing up the Gospel of Luke. This is going to be message 67, 68, and 69 in Luke. Did you guys know that? You guys don't even know that we're doing this because we do like a little section of Luke and then do another series and then Luke. We started in December of 2019, okay, and we're finishing up. And if you want, you can go on our YouTube page and look under Luke Investigating Jesus and find all 69 of these messages and catch up if you want to do that this week. Yeah, 69 once we finish up uh, in this series. Um, so, but, but if you, if you miss those, it's fine too. You're going to be okay. So what we're picking up here in Luke chapter 24 is right after Jesus has risen from the dead, the tomb was empty. If you were here on Easter, we covered that section verses one through 12. The tomb was empty. The angels appeared to the women said, Jesus has risen from the dead. They run and tell the disciples, the disciples go check it out. And they do not believe that's actually where verse 12 ended off. The disciples don't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. They are, they're spiritually blind. They're like, nah. Someone rising from the dead, that doesn't happen. Like all of you who are like, I'm a scientist. I believe in science, okay? People don't rise from the dead, right? And that's what they were thinking. In in case you're wondering, people in, in the olden days were not stupid, okay? People didn't rise from the dead every day. They never did. So when that happened, nobody believed. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 13. It says, now that same day, verse 13, now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. In verse 15, it says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Do you guys see that? So these disciples are leaving Jerusalem. Everybody was in Jerusalem for the Passover. Everybody came to the city, right? Big, amazing festival, and now they're going home. They're going home, and we're told about these two disciples. We're going to be told the name of one of them, Cleopas, but we're not told the second name. Some people think it was his wife. I don't know. There were two of them traveling back, but they knew Jesus. They were not in the top 12, Okay, the 12 disciples, Judas, of course, uh, is no longer with them, but there's the 11 left, and, and these guys are other disciples. We're told that there was those three women, or, or actually several women, that went to the, the, the grave and, and knew that the tomb was empty. So there was lots and lots of disciples of Jesus. There's, you know, the top 12, they were the big guys, they were the leaders, perhaps, but these are two others who knew Jesus, had been with them, and yet even when they are walking next to him, they do not recognize him. So here's our four, first point today. Our first point is that proximity doesn't open your eyes. Proximity, and by that I mean closeness, right? If you're close to something, if you're next to it, just because you're next to Jesus himself, that doesn't mean your eyes will be opened. That's what happens with these two disciples who knew Jesus. You know, a lot of people wonder, like, was his face disfigured? Was, did he look differently than he had before? We're not told any of that. We're just told these guys didn't recognize him, and they were kept from recognizing him. And I think that's because all of us in our natural state, every human being is spiritually blind. Is spiritually blind. And we we can actually see this in some other verses in 2 Corinthians 4.4. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul tells us that the God of this age who is Satan, God's enemy, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them from clearly seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is God's image. Satan has blinded your eyes. If you're like, oh, I can see things, I'm smart, I have an open mind. No, you don't. You are spiritually blind and you don't even know it. It's hard words, right? Spiritually blind and you don't even know it. H.G. Wells wrote a short story called The Country of the Blind country of the blind it's a really fascinating story because there is a um who's a man he's he's out hunting named Nunez and Nunez he's out hunting and he falls into this valley in a place he'd never been before and in this valley is a village of people and everyone in the village is blind they cannot see anything but they don't know they're blind because they're in this valley and they're the only ones who they've ever known so they don't realize that they're blind so Nunez is like great I'm gonna be king here because I can see. So he tries to explain to them the sunrise and the sunset, how beautiful they are. He tries to explain to them the colors of the flowers and you know what they say to him? You're crazy. Who is this crazy idiot? And they thought he was an idiot. Kind of cast him out, made fun of him, mocked him, didn't listen to him, he, he was crazy because everybody was blind and they knew that there is nothing else to see because seeing isn't a real thing. They are blind. He stayed there for a while after he realized he wasn't going to be their king. (laughs) And he fell in love with a young lady there and wanted to marry her. But her dad was like, no, I'm not going to let my daughter marry this idiot. Unless he undergoes the surgery he needs to remove his eyes. So he'll stop talking about this nonsense and gibberish about seeing light in the sun. So he finally decides because of love that he's gonna go through with it, have the surgery. But on the morning that he was supposed to have that surgery to remove his eyes, he thinks twice and realizes, no, I wanna be able to see. So he tries to escape the valley because now they're trying to kill him. He's running away, trying to escape. On his way out of the valley, this is the crazy part, he sees that a big rock slide is coming. And it's going to come and destroy the entire village, kill everyone. So he runs back and says, I saw it. There's a rock slide coming. Everyone is going to be destroyed. We're going to, we need to escape right now. And they wouldn't listen. So he escaped, and they all died. Pretty bleak story, right? The country of the blind. Because if you are blind, and you only know blind people, you don't even know you're blind. And if you're spiritually blind, you don't realize that there is something more out there, a supernatural reality to our world, you don't even realize it. People talk about it, you think they're crazy. But maybe you're the spiritually blind one. And I'm saying this because our proximity doesn't even open up our spiritual sight. This is interesting. Um, If you keep reading in verse 17, it says that Jesus asked them, as he's walking with these two people. What, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. They're sad, right? Because their lord, their rabbi that they've been following is dead. And one of them in verse 18, it says, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? He's mocking Jesus, right? Are you an idiot? What things, Jesus asked. And then Cleopas responded, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Verse 20, they say, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This is interesting. Because they have heard Jesus, they know Jesus, they have seen Jesus, and they even know that Jesus is a prophet. Right? Did you see that? He's a spokesperson for God, that's, that's pretty high up there. I mean, this is up there with Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel. Like, they, he's a prophet. But they don't realize who Jesus truly is, the resurrected king. They think he's dead, and it's over. We had hope in him, but it's gone. We have no hope left. I think it's fascinating there because they, they said, we had hoped he would redeem Israel, but do you know what had actually happened? He had redeemed the whole world. whose was bloodshed on the cross. But they missed it because he didn't do it the way they thought he should. See, they were expecting an instantaneous revolution where Israel would become free from Rome. That they would have a new king, the Messiah, who would reign for them, and everybody would, everything in the world would be fixed like that. And there's a lot of people that miss out on the true reality of who Jesus is because they want that instant fix. They want the miracle in their life. They want the addiction to be gone immediately. They want the, the social problems in our world, gun issues to just go away. If God was real, that would be gone, wouldn't it? He must not be real. Not realizing all the while that God is working, that he has worked, that he has died on the cross to redeem us from our sins and provide us eternal life ahead. It might not be the instant fix that we were all thinking or hoping it would be, but he has come. In a powerful, real way, we are just blind to it. Proximity didn't help. Being next to Jesus didn't help. As they continue on, they say, and what is more, in the second half of verse 21, and what is more, it is the third day since this all took place. So this is still on Sunday. In addition verse 22 some of our women amazed us they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body they came and told us what they had seen that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they did not see Jesus there's been an angel viewing <laughs> there's been a proclamation that Jesus is risen from the dead there's an empty tomb just as Jesus said there would be multiple times, and still they don't believe. They have been there next to Jesus, in proximity with him, hearing him speak, and they still didn't believe. There's nothing else to explain this except spiritual blindness. And I'm saying this because some of you grew up in church, had a Christian family, went to Bible college and you still don't believe. Proximity doesn't open up our spiritual eyes. It's just the truth. Parents, that's a hard word. Like you're like, oh, my kids are definitely gonna believe, right, I'm bringing them to church. Keep bringing them to church. But being in church doesn't save someone. Being in a Christian family doesn't save someone. Being in a Christian nation doesn't save someone. And guess what, we're not a Christian nation, sorry guys. It just doesn't. It doesn't open up our spiritual eyes. There's something that God has to do. And I have seen this too many times. I've seen two people get the exact same cancer diagnosis. One believes, turns in faith. The other person turns away in dismay, unbelieving for the rest of their days. I've seen people go to prison. One person has a radical life transformation. They will never sin like that again. And the other person chooses a life of sin and crime and unbelief. Same crime, different outcomes. I've heard people, I've seen people hear a sermon, one believes, and the other's like, eh, what's for lunch, right? What can explain it except a spiritual blindness that people don't even realize they're blind? See, proximity doesn't open our eyes. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul writes that you were dead, in your trespasses and sin. We like jump into like Ephesians 2, 8, 9 because that's like when grace comes in, like now things are good. But 2, 1 says that we are dead in our natural state. Do dead people wake up? Do they open up their eyes, look around? I dare you the next time you're at an open casket funeral, I dare you to go walk up, shake that body and say, wake up! Wake up! Just see what people do. Crazy, right? Because dead people don't wake up. They don't open up their eyes. They're dead. And we, in our sin, are dead. Unless our spiritual eyes are opened. Proximity doesn't open your eyes. You guys tracking with me? Proximity doesn't open your eyes. Here's the second part. Man, this is a tough one for me as a Bible teacher. Bible knowledge doesn't open your eyes. Bible knowledge doesn't open your eyes eyes. This is fascinating. I met with uh, my boss over at the seminary. I I teach over there, and he's a a preaching professor, loves preaching, and he, he pointed this to me, and I was like, wow, I'd never seen this in this passage. In verse 25, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, you blind people, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The scriptures have spoken. Verse 26, Jesus says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These guys were disciples. They had studied under a rabbi. They knew the scriptures. They were Jewish. They had probably memorized huge portions of the scripture because that's what you had to do even as an elementary kid. In Jewish circles. They memorized like the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. They knew it backwards and forwards, and yet still, they didn't see that Jesus, the Messiah, had to die before he could rise from the dead. They didn't get it. Bible knowledge doesn't open your eyes. Now this is an incredible thing for us because sometimes we're like, hey, yeah, America, man, America has never been worse with Bible knowledge. Like they have all these quizzes, like people don't know anything about the Bible today. It's just, it's true. I want you guys to know the Bible, but that isn't enough in itself. I teach the Bible every single week we're here. Like, I'm not just up here like reading my favorite poem. God works through the Bible, but that in itself, knowledge of it, isn't enough to save you. I have known professors who have studied the Bible, have a PhD in studying the New Testament, more degrees than Fahrenheit, and they still don't believe. Right? They don't get it. They know the Greek and the Hebrew backwards and forwards. They don't See the truth. I would have loved to hear what Jesus said on that day with those two guys. Man, oh, I would have loved to hear it. They're walking, it says seven miles. I don't know how long that would take, a few hours that they're walking. And Jesus has given them like the greatest sermon like ever. He's opening up the scripture. She probably doesn't even have it. He just knows it right. And he's telling them, from the beginning of the Bible, from Moses, all the way through the prophets, that, that's according to the Hebrew Bible, Like it, it probably would take you all the way through like what our, in our Bible is Malachi, right? It's the whole Old Testament. our are 39 books of the Old Testament, and that's all he needs to, to prove to them from the Scriptures that it's saying the whole time that Jesus had to die and rise from the dead. I, I wonder, like we don't know what he said, but because of some of the things that the people like Luke and the other writers of the New Testament would write, that I wonder if some of the things that Jesus taught them was things about at the very beginning. That when God spoke, and there was light, if he said, that speaking was the word of God. And as John would write, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word that God spoke was Jesus the Messiah. I wonder if Jesus told them about Adam, how Adam was the first man, and he had been tempted to sin, and he gave in and brought curse on all mankind. But Jesus, the second Adam, was tempted in the same way, and yet he did not sin. And because of his faithfulness, he brought blessing to all mankind. I wonder, I wonder if he talked about Abel, the innocent man whose blood was shed by his own brother, pointing forward to Jesus whose blood was shed innocently, because his blood speaks a better word than the word, the blood of Abel. I wonder if Jesus talked about the curse in the garden, because when God gave the curse on mankind in Genesis 3.15, he said, one day there would be an offspring of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus was that offspring Defeat Satan. I don't know. Maybe he talked about Noah and how Noah clung to this wooden construction, this ark, so that he and his family would be saved from destruction. And in the same way, we can be saved from destruction by clinging to the wooden cross of Jesus Christ. I don't know. I wonder if he talked about Abraham, who was promised that from his seed would come someone who would save the nations and bless the world. And Jesus is that seed who has come. Or that when Abraham took his own son and willingly took his one and only son up onto the mountain to sacrifice him, that our Father in heaven would sacrifice his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on the mountain. I wonder if he talked, I wonder if he talked about that. I wonder if he he taught him things about Joseph, who, when all this evil was done to him, that God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. And in the same way, even though Jesus had to suffer and at the hands of his own family and brothers suffer tons of evil, that it would be for the saving of many lives. I wonder if he said, like, like Moses brought God's people out of slavery in the Exodus, so Jesus had to bring us out of the slavery of sin, death, and the devil through the new Exodus on the cross. Or that when Moses went up on the mountain and came down with a new covenant to teach them as the mediator between God and man, Jesus would bring the new covenant, which was a better covenant, not written on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I wonder if Jesus talked about that. Or about the Passover lamb was slaughtered and the blood spread over the doorposts so that God's people would be saved and the angel of death would pass over them. And in the same way, Jesus is the Passover lamb slaughtered so his blood would keep us from death. I don't know. I wonder if you talked about Joshua leading God's people into the promised land just as Jesus is our captain leading us into the promised land of eternal life. Or we talked about the judges, the champions who would fight for God's people. And Jesus is our champion fighting Satan himself. Or or about Boaz, who at great cost to himself was the kinsman redeemer, redeeming Ruth from her shame. And if Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, redeeming us from all sin and shame, at great cost to himself. I wonder if Jesus talked about David, who went standing up for his entire people to slay a giant just as Jesus stood in our place to fight our giants. I wonder if he talked about Solomon and how Jesus is the one wiser than Solomon, that he is the one great king, better than all the kings of Israel put together, who would sit on the throne of David forever and generations to come. I wonder if Jesus talked about the prophets, how he was an even greater prophet because he was bolder than Elijah? That he performed greater miracles than Elisha? That like Jeremiah who promised a new covenant, he brought that new covenant? That Ezekiel saw the dry bones come to life and Jesus offers us that new life? I wonder if he talked about the suffering servant of Isaiah who had to die and to suffer on our behalf and that Jesus is our suffering servant. And I wonder if he talked about Jonah who spent three days in the belly of the whale, but Jesus spent three days in the belly of the earth. And like Jonah was spit up, vomited onto dry ground, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he is the long-awaited Messiah that all those scriptures have been telling about for years and generations and generations. I don't know. I would have loved to hear that sermon. because Jesus said that, those scriptures are about me. For millennia, they've been presenting me. They've been talking about me, and I am the fulfillment of those things. What's fascinating is these guys still didn't believe. They don't have their moment of conversion here. I didn't notice that. That's what my professor pointed out. They didn't believe at this point. And Jesus had to deal with the same thing in John chapter 5. As Jesus is speaking, the word of God himself, the prophet from God, He says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, Bible knowledge does not open our eyes, it was all there the whole time. They didn't see it, they didn't get it. Some of you have studied the Bible. You went to Bible college. You're like my parents taught it every night, and it was ugh. Like another devotional, like another sermon. Do I have to get dragged to church? See, the scriptures don't open the eyes of our hearts. Only God can. This is what you've got to learn today. Only God can open your eyes. Only God can open your eyes. It is his divine act to open up the eyes of your heart to make you see. It's a miracle when someone believes because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Only God can open your eyes. They finally get to Emmaus, and they're like, dude, this, this guy knows his Bible. Like they invite him over for dinner. In verse 30, we pick it up. It says when he was at the table with them, when Jesus was there, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Remind you of anything? Maybe the feeding of the 5,000? Maybe the last supper? And when he did that, in that moment, it says in verse 31, then their eyes were opened. Finally. (laughs) They were next to Jesus. They heard the Bible preached, maybe the greatest sermon ever preached we don't have the record of. But it wasn't until Jesus broke the bread and in some miraculous moment that God worked, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And in that moment, he disappeared from their sight. In verse 32, it says, then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. See, their hearts were burning. They knew something was different about this guy, knew something, what he was saying was true, but it wasn't until that moment they finally believed. And I'm saying this because some of you have burning hearts today. You really do? Maybe you've had it before and you're like, maybe this is true, I don't know. You might not even want it to be true, but it is. And God can open up your heart. I want to show you a couple of scriptures, if I can jump ahead, Hayden, um, to, to, to scripture that Jesus taught, because this is a very biblical idea in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, at that time said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. In verse 27, he says, no one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Jesus has to reveal himself to you before your eyes are open. It's that act of God. Supernatural. And in John 6:44, Jesus would say, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them." It's the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to make that burning happen. And when that happens, Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and your eyes are open for the first time and you see the reality of the supernatural world that Jesus isn't just a prophet or a good teacher. He is the resurrected King, our God himself in human flesh. And it's transformative. Has anybody in here seen The Most Reluctant Convert? Seen that movie or, or the play? Seen a few? We watched it this week. It is about the conversion of C.S. Lewis. And the whole thing is basically a narration of things that C.S. Lewis wrote. I recommend it. It's great. It's a thinker. You've got to really focus. You've got to focus. And it's basically Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis's autobiography. But in it, he talks about how he was an atheist. He, he was an unbeliever. He didn't believe at all. He, he did not like Christians. He thought they were dull and boring. He didn't want anything to do with it. But slowly, his heart was changed, one thing after another. And then he says, finally, there was one day where he fell on his knees, cried out to God and this was his words, as the most reluctant convert. And he said, even the prodigal came on his own two feet, and he said, I came kicking and screaming. So I was dragged to faith. But his eyes were opened and he had to believe because it was true. Some of you have had that experience. You didn't wanna believe. You're like, "If, if Jesus is king, then I probably have to listen to him and do what he says. C.S. Lewis, in that, in that movie, he talks about um, like, like Jesus could be extremely important in your life if he's the king. He could be not important at all, but there's not a chance that he could be moderately important for your life. It just doesn't give you that option. He's either the king of kings that you must obey, or he's a lunatic. But when Jesus opens up our hearts like that, it's transformative. Ezekiel would talk about it, how the heart of stone is removed and a heart of flesh is put in. Jesus would tell Nicodemus that it's being born again. You can't be born again on your own, okay? It's a work of the Holy Spirit. I think it's a lot like in Minority Report. Do you remember that? When Tom Cruise had to get his eyeballs taken out and new eyes put in. Remember this? You remember that movie? It's pretty gross. But it's it's a spiritual eye surgery that you have to have for your heart to be transformed. And that's what Jesus does for us to open up our eyes, that we too can believe. And it transforms you, it really does. Like for me, like, I love the Bible. Like before that it's like, man, this is boring. Like do we have to read this? All of a sudden you get that, oh I gotta read more. I wanna be in church, I don't care if it seems boring and we're singing those old songs. Hopefully we get some newer songs in here, right? We sound pretty good, right? But you guys know, it's like you love being around God's people. Your heart is transforming. You're like, what am I doing reading these Christian books with my free time? See, God has opened up your spiritual eyes. And if you have that feeling, embrace it, okay? Read your Bible. Be with God's people. Worship him in a church community. Because if God opens your eyes, it transforms everything. So I C.S. Lewis would say, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. It opens up our eyes, and only God can do that. It's his powerful, miraculous work to save you. I'm grateful that he opens eyes. And Once your eyes have been opened, this is the shift we're going to be talking about this series. Once your eyes are open to this truth You got to tell other people, right? How can you keep that to yourself? So this is the fourth point. What do we do with this? Help others have their eyes opened. Notice I didn't say open other people's eyes. You cannot. You cannot argue them into the kingdom of God. You cannot cajole them or force them to believe. You can be like, wow, I read this book and it transformed my life. It might change them, but it might not. We don't know. Jesus shows up in these mysterious ways on the side of a road talking to two people. And then it's when they break the bread that they're like, ah. You know, it's these weird moments that God shows up to open up the eyes of our hearts. But we have to help others. And yes, that does mean we bring them into proximity to Jesus. We invite them to church. It does mean we tell them what the Bible says because God works through God's word. The Holy Spirit works those ways. In, in them of themselves, Bible knowledge, proximity won't open someone's eyes, but it's through them that God will show up. And you know one of the most encouraging things? When I learned this truth, it transformed me because before that I was like, I have to evangelize people and I felt a burden and I felt guilty because I was like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? Should I have said something? Oh, I didn't, oh, now I'm a bad Christian. I wasn't good enough, I didn't have the right words, I didn't know how to answer the questions. Oh, I got tongue-tied, I said too much, focused too much on the dinosaurs, like, oh my gosh. But if you know that it's God's power who opens up the eyes of our hearts, you don't have any burden because he's going to save them. I don't have to do anything except tell them. I just have to tell other people to invite them so that maybe if I'm nervous to tell them, the pastor can. Right. OK, that's fine. I get it. That's step one. We'll get you there. But I want them to hear the good news of Jesus, because this is what it tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, no one can have faith without hearing the message about Christ. See, at the end of this story, these two disciples, they run back to Jerusalem. It was at night, so they were like, okay, it took an hours to go out to their village. They run back. That same day, they find the 12 disciples, and they tell them what had happened. And they find out that Jesus had appeared to Peter already, and they're all rejoicing because all of them have had their eyes opened. They had to tell the 12 disciples what had happened to them. Actually, the 11. They had to tell them. Because that's what we do, we tell others. We tell others so that their eyes can be opened. And no one can have faith without hearing the message about Christ. God has chosen that method as his way that he saves souls. So when we tell them about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, that he rose from the dead three days later, it opens up hearts. That's why we've seen some incredible amount of evangelism this year. We have seen more people indicate that they have made a decision to follow Jesus already this year than we have like in years past, like combined. Like it's incredible. And I'm like, it's because God works that way. He opens hearts of people that, it doesn't even make sense. They hate Christians. They think church is dull and that they come and they hear the message and they're saved because God opens hearts. And it's amazing and we get to be a part of it. We've seen almost 60 people on average start coming to our church between March and May. 60 more people. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's something to celebrate. And our church is growing and we can invite more and more people to hear this message. We can invite kids to VBS so that they can hear and then we'll bring their parents back on Sunday, right? We've got to do that. We are the messengers God has chosen and that's the major shift we need to have in our mindset. Jesus came to love us, to serve us, to die on the cross for us and now we must go tell others about that good news.